Melissa, we're here. It's Sunday night. You've just finished uh, competing at CFL qualifiers. You've had a long, long weekend of forensics. How are you doing? Very well. All right. So um, (laughs) what we're doing is we're going to do a quick recap of our weekend. And then we're going to shoot it over to a conversation we had with Ben Kroll talking about Farago that we actually recorded earlier in the week. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yes. So for the listening audience at home. Yes. So for the listening audience at home, we will not make Melissa uh, do a full episode after a full weekend of competition. But um, we have to take a few seconds to try to gather our energy to talk about Friday night. What did we do Friday night? Exactly. There's enough energy to talk about this. Oh, we just went and saw a little bitty little concert by Miss Kelly Clarkson. A one Miss Kelly Clarkson, Texas's very own Kelly Clarkson. And it was, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Perfect. Transcendent. Yeah. Inspirational. Dance film. It was everything. It was great. It was, I didn't realize how much I needed it until like, I think we were like three songs into her set and I was just like, oh, this just feels so good to have literally no worries and concerns in this exact moment. Like I thought about Mm -hmm. nothing but trying to remember the next lyric (laughs) and trying not to punch the girl in front of me who wasn't dancing and did not appreciate my enthusiasm. Um, I got some good footage of Melissa dancing, so don't you worry. I will be releasing that to the world at some point in time. Thanks for telling me. Well, I just told you just now. (laughs) (laughs) it was so easy because i could like record a bit of kelly singing and then just like move the phone over a little bit and look at like melissa just living her life it was great have i love going to concerts live music is one of my favorite things like back when i was like 22 i made a new year's resolution to go to one concert a month for a whole year and it was great and i just lose myself in the music, the moment you want it. I will never let it go. That was Eminem lyrics. You're very confused. Thank I'm just going to tell you right Great. away what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just, there's no reason to be ashamed. We, you, you paid for that experience. You're in a group of people who are also there to appreciate the artist you're there to see. Like I have loved Kelly Clarkson since I was in high school. She was a large part of my high school experience as Kurt and I were bonding over singing beautiful disaster in our cars and crying. Oh, um, yeah. So I just, it was great. And it was exactly what I needed. And there were other forensics people there because our delightful friend Dave Winkler was there with his wife and he had way better seats than us, which is that he didn't have seats. He was in the pit. So he was like up and it. And yeah. it was delightful to get to like reminisce about the concert with him the next day. So, and it was great yeah, to get to be there and experience nice. it with you. Yeah. Yeah. Must've been nice to get to talk to Dave Winkler about the concert. I didn't really get to do that. So I'm sorry you were busy. I was busy. So a quick recap of Saturday then. Mm-hmm. Kakana. Kakana. <laughs> the judges lounge of the year. Never disappoints. Never disappoints. They have a formula. They stick to it. It's always amazing. I love those people. So shout out to Keith's mom and her crew who just do an incredible job at that tournament food table every single year. It's always great. And it was great again this year. Um, I got to help out in tab room a lot this year because uh, Mike Tross typically helps Keith Vanden Heuvel with his tournament, but Mike was unavailable. Uh, mm-hmm. And so Keith, a few weeks ago, had asked if I would be able to step in and um, help with the speech wire running of things. And so I was happy to to help him out with that. And um Got to work with a great tab room full of people. Got to see my friend Mariah. And, and got to Mariah Irvin. Um, and I got to see John Rademacher for the first time this year. I hadn't seen him out in competition at all. Me, 
personally because I didn't go to Sun Prairie. Um, and, you know, Paul Miller and David Loos and Vicki Beam, who helped, came and helped in the morning, and uh, Kelly Wilhelm, who is one of Keith's assistance coaches, was in the room with me all day. And she's getting trained up to take over. So that'll be fun for Kakana to have Ooh. somebody who wants to be uh, a co-tournament director with Keith in the future. So that's y- new young blood coming up in the ranks. So, so yeah, I had a lovely day um, in Tab, but I did not get to see many people or talk to many people. Um, so that w- that part was a bit of a bummer, but par for the course when you're in the Tab room. Uh, I will now be calling the Tab room as I heard one of the students working for Keith reference it, which was the poster room. Uh, <laughs> someone must have, one of you must have needed Keith for something because they were like, they need you in the poster room. And I was just like, the where? You mean you mean tab, don't you? But I just like the, the poster room just that sounds is. more fun. It sounds it did, yeah, more well, playful. So I'm just gonna call it the where poster those posters room. were made. So that's yeah. exciting. No, I was um, I judged all day long. Thank all you. Day. You're welcome. I'm sorry. It was I no, tried was, to avoid it. It was nice. I, I enjoyed myself. It was it was a nice balance of things that I got to judge, and what I judged was really great. So I was totally okay with it. I got to judge oratory, which I never get to judge. Um, and I got to judge the power round. And I'd like to give my first episode shout out. So I was I sat down in the room and a student just turns around in her chair and just goes, I just want to tell you I love your podcast. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. And then turned to all the other students. I was like, so she's getting the one. And then she's like, also, <laughs> I love your team. You're doing a great job. And I began to actually blush. I'm blushing right now telling the story. Uh, and then she told me about how every Monday morning while she drives to school, she listens to the podcast. So shout out to the lovely, wonderful Emily Cash from Appleton West, who my students are obsessed with. She is one of those kids where, so she also was at national qualifiers today and qualified for nationals in oratory. And she was one of the students where like, not just her team was like screaming for her. Like the whole room was like, yes, Emily, I love you, Emily. And I was like, whoa. Like, it's been a while since there's been like a people Somebody with like their own loved. fan following. And but yeah. Emily is one of those people. I was just like, okay. It it was it was a lot for me, but I was I was very appreciative. And I, you know, I love a compliment. I I take them so well. She done good. She done good, Emily. So, Congratulations, thank you, Emily. Emily, by the way. Yes. Um Please stop and say hello to me at some point as well. I'd love to meet you. Yeah, I'm not the only personable one. Mm. <laughs> but, Kurt's really nice, fight, I promise. Fight through, fight through the resting biatch face and come say hello to me anyways. Yeah, otherwise come and say, come talk to me first and then I'll like bring you to Kurt. Like I'll like help liaison you through. I'll middleman it. Yeah, that could go one of two ways. It could either be helpful or because I'm so comfortable with you, I might just be like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, new person. Sorry. Hi. <laughs> yeah. And switch. But Kakana was delightful. So, I like that tournament. Kakana was great. And then you had competition all day today as well. Yeah. How'd that go? But I I work the tab room for our diocese chair, Dave. So I was supposed to work the intake table, but I had told good new Kurt Heath at North that he should hire out his judging requirements so he could be available for the diocese meeting, which actually ended up happening until during final round. So he was free all day. So I just had him learn how to work intake and hang out with Kroll. And he looked at like, they learned like Kroll walking through some stuff on the NSDA website and introduced him to all sorts of people working tab. And so then I just was the monkey doing everything else that Dave needed me to do. So. Oh, that's great. It's good for Heath to start learning that stuff. New coach yeah. going to have to take over a tournament eventually. Yeah, boy. But it was yeah, fun boy. to just like be running around and. I just, I love CFLs. I love the shakedown so much. And I love getting, like, coaches getting to watch their kids get up on the board the way that we do it in our diocese. Because every diocese is allowed to run it however they want. Some of them have a lottery system. Uh, Some of the coaches just go around and they choose who they want to send or bring to nationals. But we have an actual qualifier. And Mm -hmm. it's it's a long weekend for our students. Almost all of them competed two days in a row. 
Some of them are multiple entered today. And so it can be really tough. Also, in order to have the right amount of kids going to nationals, having five qualifiers and two alternates, we had to have some really big power rounds today. So we had some judges who lovingly, thoughtfully judged power rounds of 10 competitors in 10 minute categories. So it was very long for them, but we were very appreciative of it. And we ended up with a really great group of kids that were sending to qualifiers or to nationals from qualifiers. So I'm excited, but I am. And congratulations, coach. You had a very strong showing. I did. I'm very proud of my babes. They did great. Um, And even the ones who didn't necessarily qualify, I've got quite a few alternates that are in there and kids who might not have made it to alternate spot, but had a great showing today. But goodness gracious, I am so scooped out. (laughs) (laughs) I am, I am going to end this recording with you and go to bed. Kurt, I'm wearing sweatpants. Oh, look, I'm looking at the sweatpants, ladies and gentlemen. She's not lying. She was I wearing sweatpants. I never wear sweatpants. Good I've, for you. I only own, I barely own this one pair and I've had them since I was a sophomore in high school because I never really wear them. But today called for sweatpants. I, I mean, as you know, I have in my mm. last eight months of life now working from home, I have embraced the sweatpant. Mm. I have embraced it. In fact, I wore a pair to the gym this morning because that's a thing I can say I do now. I audibly <laughs> because I didn't. I did not go to a tournament today, but my husband did come to bed at 7.15 this morning after, after waking up at some ridiculous early hour, came back to bed at 7.15 and was like, I think we should go join a gym. And I was like, what? What just happened? So this was like I was not just a, I was just laying here watching Claire make a cake on YouTube on my phone. The birthday cake? The birthday cake. I hadn't oh. watched it yet, but so I watched it this morning in bed, like as one does to like slowly wake themselves up and greet a day off. And then suddenly I'm going to a gym. So I'm getting you a little like talked about this at all or was he literally just like we had, good morning sweetheart, let's go to the gym. We had talked about joining a gym. In the past, we'd never discussed doing it on a Sunday morning at 8 a.m. That was new. That was new information. But we did it. And you know what? It wasn't that bad. Yeah, I was. What time did you send that to me? Like, like 730 or something? Mm, No, it was eight. It was like 830 by the time I was because by that point we had gotten up, gone to the gym, signed up and we're actually like he had given me the tour. Okay. And then, like we were actually working out by the time I sent the the text. Yeah, because I was standing in the tab room and I audibly gasped, and Mariah was like, "What?" And I was like, "John made Kurt join a gym." <laughs> <laughs> but then you got to have Starbucks. But I also got to have Starbucks today, so that's a benefit because yes. I had to travel to the actual South pickup for the bus to meet up with my kids. Mm-hmm. So. Um, can I talk about the best thing I saw this week, even though it's not a forensics piece, but just because it's really funny to me. Okay. I think I talked about this last year where at Kakana I had to judge in the, in like the basketball room. I just did Mm -hmm. air quotes because I don't know what to actually call it because I'm not a, I'm not an athlete or an athletic. Uh, so it's this room like tucked way back over by like the big music rooms and stuff with three rows of auditorium padded seating and a huge big conference table surrounded by these nice comfortable chairs and I was there to judge radio and there are also big pictures on the walls of these like collaged photos of both the um, guys and girls basketball teams and so I walk in there the lights turn on and in the corner of the room in one of the conference room table chairs is just a mostly empty bottle of ketchup And it is just sitting in the chair. Like it's sitting upright, like leaned into the back of the chair. Like it is actually like sitting in the chair. And I didn't know what to do. (laughs) So I just made sure to reference it to every student when they walked in the room. They're like, where would you like me to sit? And I was like, you can sit right here. Also, don't mind the bottle of ketchup in the corner. It's here to cheer you on. It believes in you and your dreams. I said that to every single one of my competitors came in. Just because I didn't want them to like accidentally look up at some point while they were like reading the radio thing 
and then make eye contact with a bottle of ketchup. And in weather, that's a bottle of ketchup. Yeah. In the mm-hmm. corner by itself. Um, I also have to call out Heath because uh, while we were enjoying the beautiful Kakana breakfast, he went to get a bagel and put strawberry cream cheese on it. And it ended up being a jalapeno bagel. And watching him try to eat a jalapeno bagel covered in strawberry cream cheese was great for me. <laughs> oh, that was good. That's good. Oh, he. Oh, he. So, oh, so, he. so much sometimes. Mm-hmm. But Still delightful. We love and appreciate you, Heath. But I told you I was going to call you out on my podcast for being ridiculous because I have a podcast and you don't. There's so much to learn in your first year of being a coach. One of the most important things is smell the bagel before you put cream cheese on it. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Rule, well, on rule number note, two on forensics faces. Yeah, Always smell, smell the bagel. The bagel. <laughs> Be nice to kids. Always smell the bagel. Smell the bagel. Oh, that that's good. That might go on a t-shirt someday. We never know. Yay. Yay. All right. It's, so it's you're about exhausted. to be an even crazier week because it's mm-hmm. my home tournament week. But the kids don't have school tomorrow because tomorrow's President's Day. So yep. I like I'm getting a day to well, not a day, I have to work, but I'm mm-hmm. getting an evening tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm gonna and take enjoy it, it and rest. And relax, and I'm going to let you off the hook, and we're going to end it here, and we're going to send it over to our conversation with Ben. Enjoy it. It was really, it was fun, even though we've talk, really, Ben really and I have talked it. this into circles, but it was nice to, to have you a- asking us questions, because yeah. we don't really so, even think about it anymore. So that's it. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week, but enjoy uh, our conversation with Ben Kroll of Sheboygan South, Melissa's co-coach at Sheboygan South, all about Farago. And make sure if you do have thoughts about Farago, we want to hear about them. Use the hashtag Categorious. Melissa has already bounced. She just slowly slid to the floor. Good night, She's no everyone. longer in frame. That's, that's a wrap on Forensics Faces this week um, from us. But you enjoy this conversation with Ben Kroll. Bye. Bye. Welcome, Ben Kroll, to Forensics Faces, or should I say welcome back, because uh, you have actually been on the podcast once before. This is indeed my second appearance. Yes. Overachiever. Yes. So um, we're having Ben on the podcast because he reached out to us and wanted to help us uh, dissect the category of Farago. And I'll be honest, guys, Farago is not my forte, and I have for years uh, been listening to you guys discuss and talk about it, and I enjoy it, but I haven't made a lot of them. I haven't made any successful ones. So I'm really going to kind of let you two lead this discussion, and I'm just going to listen and learn and maybe ask questions. So let's start from the top. What is Farago? Farago is technically a kind of farming field. (laughs) Yes, it is. So for uh, so the reason that we call it Farago um, and not program oral and terp like literally nearly everyone else is because a Farago field is a type of field where a farmer plants multiple types of crops in one single plot of land. So like that plot of land, a Farago performance is multiple genres of literature put into one program. And I have yet to get out of a Farago round without telling that to all the people that I judge in Farago because, as I've said before, I love fun facts. So that's first what a Farago is, is a kind of field because we're just so agricultural. Mm -hmm. Well, and Farago is so, like, such a strange way to refer to that category that actually in the first iteration of this podcast, when Ben was last on it, when I was just interviewing coaches, one of the things I would ask every coach was, what's a Farago? And everybody had a different definition. Like we all had a different definition. Do you remember what you said, Ben? I don't remember. I do remember, though, that I had a card from the game Balderdash in which one of the quote-unquote obscure words that most people don't know was actually Farago. And I wish I could remember what the definition on that card was. 
Yeah, I know I had a picture of it for the longest time, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I probably don't still have it. Um, but maybe I can look for it while you guys talk. Um, I do. I do remember from that conversation because it stuck with me, and I've I've used it since. Um, that Ben, you said Farago was like the mixtape of interpretation for forensics. It, it very much is, and I, I I like to approach Farago that way. Um, yeah, just Would you like I, to expand on what that means? Yeah, um, because. Having grown up in, in like the, the 80s and 90s when making mixtapes was the thing that you did for your friends to show them how much you appreciated them, um, I, I've made lots of mixtapes. And you always have to try to find ways for like one song to flow well into the next and things to kind of mesh together well. And it's not just like a, a choppy collection of songs, but something that builds into a more cohesive whole. And that's the way that I feel about Farago. The pieces should mesh together. It's not like um, here is one piece, then I'm, I'm clearly ending it here, and now I'm com- starting something completely new. But it is here is one piece that is kind of fading out and something that is coming to pick up the threads of that and continue on. And and that's a style of Farago that we at Sheboygan South and what they do nationally with Program Oral and Terp do. But until... A few years ago, no one in our state did Farago this way. It was very much introduction, piece, transition, piece, transition, piece, transition, end of, like, piece, end of performance. And I don't even really know, because you, Ben, are who, like, decided that we as a team were going to try this different style of Farago. And I don't even remember which of the first one that I, whose it was that I read, but I was like, yeah, okay. Because I want to break rules. Yeah. And I, I think I got that idea of kind of mixing things together and flowing from one to the next and and also building on the way that we do it. We tend to have our Farragos re, um, come back to pieces over and over. So we'll have like a prose selection that is broken up and you get different bits of it mixed together with other things interrupting it. But I think I picked that up at um, – from poetry in at the national level, seeing some strong poetry programs that mixed things together like that, where it was more woven into a collage rather than um, starting and stopping. And uh, I realized we could probably try to do that with Farago as well. And, and again, this is not to say that Farago's have to be like that, but we as a team have found great success with that style. Yes, and, and we've seen other... I mean, the WFCA changed its rules to to allow Farago to be more of this style, which is great, especially now that Program Oral and Terp is an NSDA national qualifying category, which directly translates into Farago. Absolutely. Which is so great. And um, but and it's not just the, the WFCA. I know that more and more schools in the WHSFA are having students compete with this style as well. Hooray! Um, But I'm just going to read the WFCA definition of Farago because I like to do those things. The challenge of Farago is to select materials from a variety of literary genres, parenthetical, poetry, short stories, speeches, essays, drama, novels, which addresses a central specific theme or emotion, and to interpret the material through oral presentation. This is an interpretive category, not an acting category. And I mean, I think... That's one of the ones. There's that language I love. Yes, we love it. Um, I think that Farago is one of the categories that blurs the line of interpret acting the most uh, because of the different kinds of genres that kids get to pull from. Sometimes they are reading out of a monologue or part of a play. Like, and I think that you can present it and it's still sort of acty, as people like to say. Uh, But it still makes a really freaking great Farago. Absolutely. So since we're we're the cool Farago people, we'll, we'll let Kurt first tell us um, if he's ever done Farago uh, and all of that sort of stuff. Kurt, are you a former Farago in? No. <laughs> and 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 you, as you said before in the introduction, you yourself have not successfully coached any. Frago students of note. No, I have not. <laughs> okay. Ben, did you do Farago in high school? I did not do Farago. Um, I did prose, I did play acting, I did storytelling, and I did demonstration, but never Farago. And 
So the categories you did could have made its own Farrago one day. True. Probably not the demonstration part of it, but the other things that I did could have been combined into a Farrago. Yes. Um, but we, as a coaching duo, have taught some very successful Farrago students um, all the way up to state champion. Uh, and I and I bragged about it on the podcast. It's one of the things I'm not ashamed of bragging about. I do think that Farrago is one of the categories that we do really well at South. And I think a lot of that is owned up to your talents in helping students put mm-hmm. together programs. Helping them find a good topic, helping them select pieces for it, the editing process, because all of that is really important. Probably more so editing for Farrago than for most other interp categories. Yeah. So I've always been a little bit curious when it comes and, and – Maybe I'm jumping the boom, boom gun here. Um, But one thing I wanted to pick your brains about when it comes to Farrago is, do you start with a piece and that gives you a topic? Or do you start with a topic idea and then find pieces? For me, myself, I think it starts more with a a piece, like usually a single piece, because I am always looking through stuff with an eye of, could this be used someday for a forensics piece? And I've got folders and documents on my on my computer full of potential for um, farrago ideas in some cases it's like here's one single poem that i found that maybe if we if someone is interested in this topic we can build off of that in other cases i've i've got collections of pieces that all tend to work together um but usually for me i i start with the pieces and um you know, we'll discuss with the students, see what to, if, if they're interested in any of these topics that i've started to look at um there are there have been some cases where students came to us with a specific topic, and then we worked together to find some things. We have one of our students this year. We um, he and I had been talking over a Farago in the fall, starting to build towards some things, and it was a topic that I had um, brought to him to see if he was interested in. And we spent a couple of weeks on that, and he came and told me, "Well, this, I'm just really not feeling this. I'd much rather work with this topic." And it wasn't something that I had, had ever found things for, but I I started to look for some things. He started to look for some things and the piece came together a couple days later and it's been very successful this year. Yeah. And I've, I've also worked with students building just from a topic that they've want to talk about. Um, like I had a student a few years ago who wanted to talk about bisexuality erasure in media. And so we both just were like, okay, we're going to give ourselves a week to look at news articles and poems and we ended up using song lyrics from the show crazy ex-girlfriend and so i think it goes either way uh depending on definitely depending on the student but also depending on if you're someone like ben who just has this ridiculous both physical and mental library that you're working from it's kind of unfair really it's an unfair advantage there's nothing preventing other people from getting all the books that 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 are available it's true. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's that's one of your your tips for how to be successful in this, right? Oh, yeah. It, it would have read, to be. It's just like read and read and read and read and read and see what catches your attention. And just make a note of it. There I I I don't not in this phone because the phone I have right now is relatively new, but in my old phone there is a note that is just forensics question mark, and it would be anytime I was out somewhere or read something, and I was like, if one day I might need to reference this for forensics, and just saving news article titles or marking poems that I saw uh, performed on YouTube or like reading a novel where I'm like, part of this might one day make a good piece for this thing, and if, for some people it might sound like a lot of work. But it's sort of it's sort of setting yourself up. It's like meal prepping, right? Mm. Right. I suppose. But it's like meal prepping, you guys. It's like setting yourself up with the little nuggets you need to then eventually later build into a beautiful meal. But it takes some getting used to to know like to like, be reading through things and be able to recognize what could potentially be a good Farago piece. Because with the other categories, you need something bigger to build around. You need a a complete story for prose or for a solo acting piece. You need a more substantial poem for poetry. But for Farrago, if you find one little nugget, something that like a 30-second poem, that could be the seed that you build a whole Farrago around because it's all about the pulling in these different pieces that complement each other. I like those. Just so how do you, all nuggets. How do you even begin to do that, though? Like, 
Like, it sounds so simple. You just find pieces that uh, that complement each other that are around the same topic or, and or theme and or by erasure, which was, <laughs> by the way, the most forensic sentence you've ever spoken. Yeah. And <laughs> like, like, oh, sure, you just go find it. But like, you can't just Google that stuff. And for people who don't have, you know, written lists of materials they've already read or kept in their brain... Like, that's the tough part, right? It's finding quality material that relates to that topic. Something that may help and something that I've sort of learned to do over my years of working with with Farago um, is that this tends to be probably the most – or it can be the most argumentative-based interp category. In many ways, there's overlap between oratory and Farago, or at least potential overlap between oratory and Farago, because – um, Farago really gives the students a chance to make an argument about something. So there are so many social issue topics that have great poems that are related to them, like short stories. Um, editorials from news- newspapers and magazines can really work well in Farago, and they can't work particularly well in other interpretation categories. So approaching it as an issues-based category, something where you are putting out some problem in the world or something that needs to change. Um, that's something you can look for or keep in your mind when you are looking at potential topics for Farago. And I want to push back on the idea that you can't just Google it because if you go in knowing that if you've, if you've picked your social issue, you've picked what your theme wants to be. If you, if you go in with a sense of specificity, you can just Google. Like that's how we, we built the bi erasure one was that we just Googled. We were looking for articles about it. We were looking for op-eds about it. We were looking for testimonials from people. We were looking for interviews. Um, I'd found like a video that someone had made about it and was like potentially going to try to transcript it, but then I didn't have to, which thank goodness. Uh, But if you go in, you can type in that topic and you can just write the word poem afterwards, essay, opinion, uh, interview, and then results will show up and it does take a lot of work but then you get to go in and have something that because you the sources come from somewhere else but you yourself are weaving it together it is in its own way still kind of an original piece so i mean it takes work but I, i do think that if if you've got the gumption you can just sort of go in and start googling stuff another good source online for i guess oh um, for any schools that well, I was going to say, I guess the point I was trying to make about the the point I was trying to make about Googling was you often do not get quality results in the first few pages of Google, and too many students and coaches let material get through. That's like from poetry dot com, written by anonymous three two four one. Well, I was going to, and say- I don't want to hear that stuff in a Farago round. <laughs> I was going to say, um, for looking for things online, um, for any school that is a member of the National Speech and Debate Association, they have a database of what are considered the approved online sources, and they're updating that uh, a couple of times a year. But there are quite a few literary journals, uh, online literary journals there, um, online magazines, websites for various news agencies, and going going through that list. Um, that's been and that list has been vetted by the W or by the NSDA to make sure that it's quality, um, quality material, well written material. That's an excellent resource, and I've found some good material for Farago's using that resource as well. Because you can just go to their website, type in the thing that you want to theme your Farago around, and then see the results. And actually, I don't even it. think you need to be a member of the NSDA to be able to access that list. If you just go online and go into Google and type in NSDA-approved websites, it will bring you that list, and I'm pretty sure it's a publicly available list. I'm testing it out I mean, right now. I'm testing your theory. <laughs> I got um, to an NSDA APP before it suggested approved websites. Yeah, it's a public list. Excellent. Hey, there you oh, go. Ebony is on that list. Yeah, there is. Some very unusual them. things. So go there because a lot of Farago is building that that program up 
and getting it set. And I do think that the more specific you can be about the theme, the better off you are. Like we talked about in last week's episode with the Farago that I saw that was really great. That was literally just about the relationship between a mother and her daughter and how intensely specific it was and how great of a Farago it made. Because you can go in with a really, really broad topic, uh, but sometimes that broad topic can be to the detriment of the presentation and not to the benefit. So specificity is important. And also the idea of looking at it, uh, like Ben was saying, sort of like it is a different way to do an oratory and a different way to persuade someone. We talk a lot on this about things being compelling and making sure that you are choosing a topic that not only you care about, but you know that you can engage your audience to care about as well. And if you approach it as like the what can we do about this issue? I feel those sorts of Faragos are, are so much stronger. So rather than doing a Farago about, say, um, homelessness and just saying, my, my Farago is on homelessness, do a Farago that has something to say about the topic, like that we need to better support or better provide resources for homeless people. If you can find that angle to it, not just what is your topic, but what are you saying about that topic? Hmm. I like that as a distinction. Um, how often do you guys find yourselves changing Faragos throughout the year? Is it like is it like an oratory in that way, and that it can grow and change uh, as you move throughout it the year? It certainly can change, and it probably is going to depend on a number of factors: on the student, on the availability of material. Um, I know we've got two Faragos that we did some tweaking to them between the first and the second meet or the second and the third meet where we like pulled out one piece um, and, and substituted in another selection or changed the order of some of those things. Um, but typically there isn't, a, at least as we run Faragos, there isn't a, a lot of change, but there are little tweaks. It's, it, it's just small revisions. And sometimes it's, it's as it is in any interp pieces, seeing that there's a part that the student necessarily can't hit that well or like is struggling to be able to properly emote and then saying, all right, let's, let's take this out and see if there's somewhere else from that same source material that we can beef up or if there's something from another piece within the program that we can sort of fill again. And if you're with. doing a lot of the, the prep work ahead of time, it shouldn't be too hard to do to do that. Typically, when I'm working with students on Faragos, I like to work with them to find more material, like a, a wider variety of material than we're going to use in the Farago, finding stuff that much more than 10 minutes worth of material so that when we get it down to that 10 minutes, if something isn't quite working, we've already got some resources available to us to look through rather than having to go and and find brand new stuff. Awesome. Um, how do you make a kid good at presenting Farago, especially when it comes to this newfangled style uh, where there are no transitions? Like, how do you, uh, how do I ask I guess the question I'm trying to ask is like, how do you make it clear when you're doing one piece versus another piece? And does it even matter to you? Well, for me, it is playing with all of the parts of vocal presentation that make interp great. And so it's playing with the idea of accents. It's playing with speed. It's playing with, um, like playing also with binder tech. Binder tech is one of like Frago, I think is a category that has benefited the most from it because binder tech is a great way to help differentiate the different pieces. Even if you're not necessarily able, maybe you're not great at accents, you're not great at voices, but you can use binder tech to help differentiate the pieces that you're doing. I don't think you mentioned it, but posture is another way. If you can clearly establish a physicality for one piece or for, for each different piece that can help to visually distinguish between the pieces that you have. But mm -hmm. then this isn't, this is an interp category, not an acting category. Okay. You are finding ways for them to physically interpret the different pieces and the physical, you know, physical interpretation for each one. I agree, but you know, I'm, I hope the eye roll was uh, implicit with that statement. 
Um, but that is something we have to contend with in in a category like Farago and in a lot of interp categories. As long as the WFCA has that in their rules, uh, it gives a tool to judges to be able to say, like, well, I thought that was too much like acting. So. Blah. Blah. Blah, blah. That's how I feel about that. Um, I think when people say that... I don't want to go on this rant, but I think when people say You don't want to, but you're gonna. But I'm gonna, because again, this is our podcast, and we get to rant however we want. And I just woke up my cat falling asleep. Can, if I can interrupt um, really quick, is that language still in there? Because I'm looking at the 2018-2019 the um, rules at the moment, and that... I don't see that as part of the definition of the category anymore. Did we get rid of that in the fall? Um, it is the when you open up the WFCAforensics.org and you go to competition tab and you hit categories and rules, it says this is an interpretive category, not an acting category at the end of that. I'm looking at the full rules though, the like the, the full like eighty page document. That's not at the end of the definition of the category. Well, now we're learning something that we as a WFCA need to adjust. I wonder who on the executive board is in charge of updating the rules book. That's a good question. Scott Peterson, the webmaster. Okay, there we go. Scott, if you're listening, we need to update it. Thank you. Um, but I think that sometimes when people say that something is too acty, they're just trying to find a reason to help differentiate things, and they're trying to find a way to bring a piece down and when they really want to say that something is overwrought or it's too much or they're laying something on thick they say that it's acting rather than finding the specific way to tell a student they're doing something wrong they just are vague and say that it's too much like acting so stop that y'all no stop it well i'm glad you guys um that you guys think the way that you do about that cuz i i judged farago um a couple weeks ago, and I did give a comment to one of the the young interpreters who was was quite good. Um, but my issue with the Farago is it was a transitionless Farago, and she gave me several titles at the beginning of the piece, and then proceeded to present what seemed to me like one cohesive or like one one piece of writing. I I had no way of distinguishing one piece from the other. So I don't know if it was, you know, a chunk of prose, then a chunk of poetry, then a chunk of prose, or if she like wove those all together, went back and revisited pieces. If it just like told one story. And I was like, to me, part of the challenge and joy of Farago is creating something that's greater than the sum of its parts. But if I can't tell that there's different parts here, then then you a part of the the fundamental challenge of the category has not been met. Mm-hmm. Agree or disagree? Agree. Agree. Okay. And I wasn't sure like even as I was writing it it was one of those judge moments where I'm like am I right in saying this? Cuz like we can we allow them to do transitionless faragos and we want it to complement each other, but my interpretation is still that like I should know when you're switching between your pieces. Mm-hmm. It like just because we don't have a transition anymore, it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be apparent when you're doing one thing versus another thing. Um, and I was kind of surprised because I was like, this all just seems like one story. Like, how is this even possible? It's magic. I, I mean, obviously, it was a very well composed Farago that it just seemed to kind of like work as one thing. But I, yeah, but I could never tell when it was switching between pieces. And hopefully that student was able to take your 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 critique there and your um, comments and make some adjustments. Because it sounds like if she varied the style of the delivery from part to part, it would be a very, very strong, very strong performance. I think that's right. Yeah. Are there any other uh, like ways that you practice with kids to make them successful? Like, are there techniques that you employ when trying to create your award-winning Farragos? Not being afraid to focus on just one aspect of the Farrago and not weaving it all together. Uh, a lot, of, especially at this point in the season, a lot of the time students are getting the same critique in the same section. So some like, and this is, applies to all forensics practice, obviously. 
but just having a day where it's like, okay, today we are just working on the poetry in this Farago. Today we are just working on this article that we put in there. Today we are just working on the way that you transition vocally between pieces. Anything to add, Mr. Crow? Um, I'm just, again, building on what Melissa was saying, um, trying to focus on those transitions. And we haven't done this often, but I know there have been some times where we'll have a student um, read like the whole or read something and then I'm explaining this poorly, but um, maybe read through the whole piece in just one delivery just to kind of solidify that particular delivery. Like if, if there's a particular style they use for their prose, mm-hmm. have them read through the whole thing in that prose style delivery um, or have them just kind of like mix it up and we'll tell them to do like one or tell them to change to the style for something else. Like I said, we haven't done, haven't done that often, but it's, it's something we've, we've tried. That's really interesting. I actually do something similar uh, when I'm recording a book. If there's a, a an accent that just shows up um, like infrequently, uh, like I, I just was working on a book where there's a character who mm-hmm. speaks with a French accent, which, but like the character only speaks like one line every th- six chapters, and so I would always have to like read just part of the chapter until I got the French accent decent enough that I could say that one line well, but it, I couldn't, ju- I couldn't just like jump into the French accent because I, I wasn't using that, that is, is done in practice a lot more with a category like humorous interpretation or solo, solo humorous, I should say, where you might have a student read something that's not even their piece, but like do this as one of your characters and then in the middle switch up. Okay. Now switch to a different character just to solidify that sense of, of, character and that style of delivery you're getting bonus uh, tidbits if they've got an accent in their piece make them talk around you only in that accent it's so fun for you (laughs) but also for them because they have to it helps them work on consistency because the biggest problem i find with accents in forensics is being able to maintain a consistency in it whether it's them not being strong enough the accent or just not having the breath control to maintain it. If they're talking in it all the time, makes it a lot easier for them. Um, but I also want to talk since we're in Farago and I am Miss Binder Tech. I just want to remind people to not be afraid to use Binder Tech. Farago is a great place to start incorporating it and start trying things out and and working with it because you have this opportunity to have both a vocal but as well as a physical way to denote changes between the pieces use the binder to do that it doesn't just have to be a really dramatic page turn there are all sorts of other ways to do it and frago's such a lovely place to do so so do some binder tech y'all don't be afraid i believe in you that should go on a on a t-shirt that's basically your mantra at this point truly do some binder tech y'all don't be afraid and I guess I guess that's my one of my myths about the category then is that like the only way to tell the difference between the pieces is to have these actual transitions where you're closing the binder and telling everyone what's going to come up next. Like, no, that's not how it works anymore. You can still have a great Farago that is that way, but I don't think that's where the category is headed. And it's certainly not the trend nationally. So. Right. Um, I feel like we touched on this, but does anybody want to speak more explicitly to the like what is learned from this category? As well, I think a student? one of the great skills that students can learn is how to pull an argument out of literature, and not that not that the material for Farago has to be literature. You can use essays and articles and things, but just the value of looking towards prose, drama, poetry as an instrument for social change or just to, to make an argument. Finding ways to be able to beef up your argument and sort of find sources for it and find things to back up your belief system. Hmm. And, I love that. And to, to better find and appreciate the interconnectedness of so much of the written word that is out there. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. We all connected. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I mean, really, I, I've never thought of doing it this that this way, but a farrago could easily be made up of, um, you know, a, a piece of writing that was influenced by another piece of writing that was influenced by another piece of writing. Um, Truly. Because, I mean, it happens all the time. It's an idea of hyper-dense intertextuality, to use the, the fancy English teacher speak. <laughs> Thank you for that. Oh, Melissa <laughs> choked on it. That was too much. Oh, I hate I, I know it. I, oh, I love it. At Thank least you. Used, Thanks for bringing some class to this little podcast. I, I know I've at least used the word intertextuality in critiques that I've filled out in Farrago a handful of times. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Which means you gave if, an if opportunity. Anyone gets a critique from Ben Kroll from Sheboygan South that has intertextuality on it, please let me know so that I can properly make fun of him. Oh, Jed, please fall back asleep so that he can be judged. Um, Farago here in Wisconsin. I know a couple of years back, judging it, judging Poi at Glenbrooks, I know I used that in at least two, two critiques just to, to be that, that extra pretentious judge. Right. Well, if you use a word like intertextuality, they cannot question the rest of your critique. They just have, they have to accept that you know what you're talking about. And therefore, everything you said is valid, even it if they disagree is. with it. Um, let's, let's talk about some really great Faragos that we have seen. Kurt, do you have one that stuck out in your brain? Um, I, I could just once again reference the one I, I said as my best of the week a couple weeks ago. Um, but I, I have not, as we've talked about, I have not been judging a ton the last few years, so I haven't really had a chance to see much Farago. Pretty much since it changed into this transitionless type of thing. Um, I know I judged, I think it was at Sun Prairie a few years back. I saw like two of your kids in a round doing... They're Faragos. And I remember them being very good. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I don't remember which kid it was or or what they were about. But I do remember thinking, oh, look at these South kids doing their Faragos. They know <laughs> they know they they know what they do when. We try. Ben, do you um, have one well, that sticks I, out for you? I know some of the ones we've seen at Nationals have been very, very strong. I'm trying to think of ones I've seen in Wisconsin. A uh, couple of years back, one that sticks out for me, it was a Farago that one of Christie's students at Fond du Lac had run. It was sort of a polarizing topic, but I really thought it worked well. It was her student who did a Farago about menstruation. Mm. Shout out Christy Knutson. And, and just the, the way yeah. these pieces were blended together um, to get the audience to consider society's attitude towards it, especially myself as a male judge looking at this topic. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, yeah. I wonder if that I was Bailey. Was. I think that was Bailey Darling. Um, and that piece was great. I got to I got to read that piece. Christy and Bailey did a great job cutting that piece. Um, but since we were talking about nationals, I am going to talk about um, a POI, a program oral interpretation from the very first final round at NSDA nationals, which was in 2016. Um, and the uh, program was called Prisoner of Color. And it was about the way that media represents uh, people of color. And I just, it was so good. It was a perfect balance of great comedy and deep despair. And it gave me so much white guilt. And I just remember it being done and clapping so hard that my hands hurt afterwards. And she was just great. I don't remember her name or what school she was from, but I remember very specifically the title of the poi. And I think, I actually think that you can find it on YouTube, as you can a lot of NSDA National Finals. Yes, you can. If you look up Poi NSDA Finals 2016, it's one of the first things that shows another, up. Another so Nationals moment that really stood out to me, and this is a great example of stu- a student really 
putting a lot of themselves into the piece. It was in a quarterfinal round, I believe, um, at last year's national tournament. Um, unfortunately, the student didn't make it into the finals, but it was a student who was doing a program oral interpretation about transgender bathroom issues. And given the cultural climate um, of, at the time, the topic itself wasn't too surprising. I mean, it was, it was great to see someone doing that. But in the, this introduction, this student was talking about how it was an issue from um, from a school in Missouri, I believe, and how it was very much in flux because this case that stemmed from this was currently going through um, – Either it was going through the Missouri Supreme Court or had gone through it and was advancing to the U.S. Supreme Court. And at the end of the student's introduction, um, they, they said something like, um, and in the next few weeks, depending upon how this case goes, I may be involved in one of the most important civil rights cases of the millennium. And it turns out that this student was the student at the heart of that case uh, where a lawsuit was brought against uh, their school in Missouri. So this is very much uh, – it was a – super personal issue for this student. Wow. And, and So basically what you're saying is if Farrago doesn't make you feel guilty for being a middle-class <laughs> white guy, nothing will. Nothing will. But we love it. We love Farrago. If it hasn't been obvious, Ben and I love Farrago and it's my favorite thing well, I say everything is my favorite thing, but it's definitely one of my favorite things as a coach to do. It's one of my favorite things to put together. It is one of my favorite things to practice and work with students about. It's one of my favorite things to judge. And um, it is one of the things that is very, very much forensic-y, and it's very much inside of our little bubble of a world, but it's a great way to look at the world outside of our bubble through the lens that is Farago or Program Oral Interpretation. Yeah, and I got to say, this has been so much fun for me just to listen to you guys talk about this, um, because I do, I really, like, I consider you guys uh, experts oh, on you. Farago, certainly when compared to me, um, but you you guys, uh, you know, if if it's not out in the world already, I'll put it out there. Sheboygan South should have a reputation for creating really great Faragos. Um, if nobody else has noticed that trend, it's happening. Oh my God, I'm blushing. It's out there. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, any final thoughts on Farago before we, uh, kick it to the outro? I know you've got uh, thoughts, Ben. I, I, I do have thoughts, but there, there are things that are, again, so specific things that I, I don't know if they fit really well into the, the conversation at this point. Cause I, I've got thoughts on like the idea of like how to structure a good transition and how to move from one piece to the next, but they, they just feel out of place with the way the conversation is gone. <gasps> okay. Well, well then how about this? You, Everyone needs to come Sam. talk to Ben. He loves social interaction. He loves making new friends. He loves being surprised by conversation. So what you'll do is you'll come up to me at a tournament because I'm the friendly one. I'm the approachable one. And then you'll tell me that you want to talk to Ben about Farago. And then as his unofficial schedule keeper, we'll make time for you to, to meet together and talk about well, it. I I'm actually glad we're not FaceTiming this conversation because you would have seen the face I made when you said you're the friendly one. <laughs> ben, am I or am uh, I not the friendly one in our coaching I, I know I've said before, you're, you're the one who's able to, to, to do the feels. Yes. I do the feels <laughs> and the fun. And the Farago. But if, if I can kind of shoehorn in some of the, the thoughts that I was trying to think of, just because as I was sitting home today, because we didn't have school, because we got all the snow to overnight, um, just what are some of the, uh, some of the ideas, mm -hmm. some of the, the techniques and things of, of Farago that I've come to understand? Um, so the, I guess it's just random topics. But one of the things that I really enjoy in Farago is that you can take a prose piece where there are like elements and great moments 
in this pro selection, but you can't necessarily flow well from one to the next. And so you have like these like vignettes that wouldn't fit together in a prose piece because you can't transition from vignette A to vignette B to vignette C. But in Purago, you could start with that mm-hmm. first vignette, have like a, a peak moment, and then switch to a, uh, a poetry piece or something, and then come back to the prose piece, pick up with vignette B. And even though A doesn't lead into B well or logically, having that poetry piece in the middle kind of break things up. It's like in a TV show, if you've got a commercial break or something, where the the big dramatic moment at the, at the end of um, the, the first segment of the TV show doesn't necessarily connect to the start of the next one, that break will allow you to have all of those pieces together involved in that. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, and it actually, it prompted me to think of this question, which I would like to ask now, and I will, and I don't know why I'm narrating this thought process. Um, <laughs> do you think there's like a correct number of pieces to have in a Farago? Like, can you over or underdo it when it comes to the number of different uh, genres or even this, just the number of pieces of writing you use? In terms of, I don't know if there's a correct number, maybe a range. Um, typically I look for maybe four to six total sources. And some of those might be sources that are in the piece, like for 30 seconds or so. Like there, there's sometimes where it's a poetry a poem that comments on something that is, has just come before in prose. So you just break off and have this poetry that responds to something that was just said. And then you continue on with the main pieces. Um, the way I often will try to coach students and work with students when we're putting things together is have one or two sort of anchor pieces in Farago that we keep coming back to, whether it's one central piece that is returned to over and over again, or two, um, two pieces in balance that we flip back and forth between and at various moments break away for a short selection of drama or essay or poetry that comments on something that has been said. So it's usually one or two main pieces and three or four smaller pieces that get attached. Just like a little sidebar. I think the only way that you would have too many pieces is when there are too many things for the student to try to remember in the introduction to list off. But I think the most we've I've, we've ever done, I think there was one time where we had a student with eight total. Um, but I don't think that there are is a such thing as too many unless they can't actually get them all out. Uh, but I think that Farago should have at least three. I think it should be three at the bare, bare minimum. And okay. then what, what other... Oh. You know, it's funny you say okay. this. Um, Go ahead. I was going to say one other just a little side comment or, or extra idea floating around in my head for Farago to talk about. Um, something that I love to be able to do um, when I'm helping students edit their Faragos, and I've only really successfully done this a handful of times, but when you're doing those transitions, if you can find something where like the text, like the actual words in the text overlap a little bit, where it's like the, what you're saying at the end of one piece is the start of the next piece. There's and like I said, we've only I've only managed to help students get that together a handful of times. We've got one of our Faragos this year has one transition like that, and I would I would feel so excited if I could find like a a piece or a, a collection where it's everything goes together like that. But that's really difficult to do. Finding finding one or two moments. Yeah, I, I was gonna a- say. <laughs> now you're you're making it like one of those like acapella battles from pitch perfect now, like yeah, now you're so, overachieving. So I, I'm, re- I'm really happy when we can the- find one or two moments, one or two transitions where we're able to do that. Awesome. Anything else? <laughs> Cause if you don't say it now, you might never get to say it on the podcast again. I'm well, trying to think how long ago it was, it was, it was probably what, 2009 2010 so it's going to be another nine or ten years before i get to come back on the podcast <laughs> maybe um i don't know if you noticed but have yes, you checked your I, email i, I, I saw you and you found that balderdash card <laughs> yes yes i did 
And what um, does it define Farago as? It's ben? very small, so let me make it bigger. Uh, it says a jumble or hodgepodge. And ladies and gentlemen, that's all it's a jumble or hodgepodge. really is. Yep. Yeah. What a perfect way to end. I love that. Well, thank you, Ben, so much for taking some time to chat with us about Farago and sharing sharing your your thoughts and your secrets and your sources, because I I am willing to bet a lot of people will be using those. Again, the the one piece of advice I I could give, one central idea, just if you are interested in coach or have helping students make a Farago or you have students who are interested in putting together a Farago, just read and read and read and read and find those little moments in whatever you're reading. It's like, oh, hey, that's a really, really unique perspective on this topic, or that, that has something really interesting to say about this particular idea. And take note of those moments, because you might find a good Farago to put them into. I think that's great advice. Thank you. Good job, right. Ben. Yeah, nicely done. Well, that uh, that's a wrap on Farago, and uh, we will... Let Ben go so that we can say goodbye. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ben. Goodbye. Bye, Kroll. Forensics Faces is proudly produced in Wisconsin, the birthplace of the National Forensics League. Our theme song was written and performed by J.J. Hammeister. If you're a fan of Forensics Faces, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also get in touch with Melissa and me by emailing listen at forensicsfaces.com. You can also find links to all our social media accounts and online merch store by visiting forensicsfaces.com. I'm Kurt. And I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak. Preferably in that order. Preferably in that order.